Lord, we are grateful for your love towards us. This great plan of salvation that was fulfilled in Christ. Thank you for this today, the readings today that point us to see how glorious Jesus is. Lord, as Peter, James, and John saw you, may our eyes be open to see you. You are the answer to whatever question, longing, ache, pain we may have. And Lord, you know me very well. I am utterly and totally dependent upon you. I have things written down. Lord, I pray you will come and speak. I will be your mouth. You can use my vocal cords, Lord, for your glory. And we ask this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A question that has been rumbling in me for some time, a lot of it might be due to my age, is, is this all there is? We look at life, I look at life, and I still think there's got to be something more. I find myself being drawn to a, a great song by a great band from England when Queen would sing, I want it all and I want it now. I, I kind of sympathize with that. We see restlessness and searching and longing. We feel, I feel sometimes there's something missing. I think... Science and medicine calls it a midlife crisis, where we look for a new job, a new car, a new relationship, a new anything. We want to change things, but we don't change. The restlessness still remains. And if you ever see me pull up on the sidewalk here with a brand new Corvette, feel free to smack me in the head <laughs> and, uh, and uh, ask me, what were you thinking? But life circumstances aren't the issue. It's what we're doing with that restless desire that is the issue. We don't need any new things. Don't believe the marketing hype. Your phone is just as good as the next one that's coming out. If you play golf, you don't need the new driver. It's not as much better than the old one that you have in your bag. But what we do need is we do need to behold who Christ is. And that's what we see today. Up until now in Mark's gospel, we're seeing what Jesus can do. Amazing things. Casting out demons. That's pretty cool. Healing Peter's mother-in-law. Lepers, lame, feeding people with a lunch. And now... These three and us need to see who Jesus is. Beyond time, beyond this material world, who Jesus is. It's the transfiguration readings. The Greek word is metamorphosis. I like it better. Metamorphosis. It just sounds cool. 
And according to uh, the Orthodox Southern Theological Dictionary that Father Ben is writing, <laughs> I'm going to be his editor. What does that mean? It means what's on the inside begins to show on the outside. A lot like the same thing that happens when Bruce Banner gets angry. You don't like him when he's angry. Because what happens when Bruce Banner gets angry? He turns into the Hulk. The Hulk's inside. It just begins to show up on the outside. And what's the purpose for this experience for the disciples, for J Peter, James, and John, and us? If it's so crucial that Peter begins to write it as I'm about to leave this body, I want to remind you of this moment. John wrote about it later on. Why is it so important? Until I joined a sacramental church, I never heard of anybody preaching about this transfiguration moment. I never even heard the word transfiguration. So it must be pretty important. First of all, they had to see his divine nature. Peter, James, and John were the inner circle. They are the three that represent the leadership of the apostles after Christ ascended. We all know Peter's role. He was the speaker. He was the mouth. James was more or less, in my thinking, the administrator. And John, my favorite, was the quiet theologian. In 1 Peter, he tells us that they were witnesses of these things, eyewitnesses of his majesty. They had to see that truth. They had to get that glimpse of who Jesus is because otherwise their witness and our witness will not be as powerful without it. This experience shaped them. It changed them. John would later write in his epistle, from the very first day we were there. Man, I wish I could say that. What a cool thing to say. Taking it all in. We heard it with our ears. We saw it with our eyes. We saw it happen. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. And now we're telling you in the most somber prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. It had changed them. It was an experience. Not that we are all in experiences, but let me tell you, if you encounter Jesus, you're going to change. Much like this old cowboy was riding in the, the desert, and he come across this other cowboy laying on the ground with his ear and face in the rut of the wagon, wagon wheel. I'll get ready to talk here in a minute. In a wagon wheel. And that cowboy laying on the ground gasped these few words, wagon, two horses, one white, one black, man driving, smoking pipe, wife in a blue dress. And the cowboy on the horse was amazed. You mean to tell me you got all that information by looking and listening to the ground? The old cowboy went, no. The wagon ran over me 30 minutes ago. He experienced in a tangible way the wagon wheel, and it changed him for the worse. 
For us, our encounter with Christ has to change us. It's a change like what we see on this mountain today, from the inside out. Our Greek brothers call it theosis. I like that. The process of becoming more like God. Peter, James, and John, they were changed by this experience. If it wasn't, how, why is he writing, I'm about to die, guys. Uh, here's what you need to remember. We saw the transfiguration. And they weren't just captivated. They, it was something dramatic in their lives. In our walk with Christ, our experience of Christ, it has to be more than a theory, a wishful thought, a casual interest, or even worse, an accessory to our existing life. It has to be total captivation. I like what Paul would, how he addressed himself most often. Paul, bondservant of the Lord. That's a total captivation. If you're a bondservant, you don't really have much choice in your life. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. And even Thomas, when he saw Christ resurrected in that room, he fell down and cried out, my Lord and my God. Total captivation. And when we come to grips with who Christ is, there's only one fitting response. Worshipful submission. And how do we worshipfully, worshipfully submit to Christ? Did I say that right? If I didn't, it was right. According to the Southern Orthodox Theological Dictionary. It's the ordering of all that restless desire that we all have, be honest, toward Christ. That's why it's there. Because there's nothing created that can fill that void in us. And that's why Paul would later write, Everything is a pile of garbage compared to knowing Christ. They saw that. What else is this important for? It gives them a temporary glimpse in the face of the impending crucifixion. They were about to see Jesus crucified. In fact, one account says Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his departure. And Moses was there, and Elijah was there. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. It was letting them know that Jesus was the fulfillment of this plan, that the suffering that was about to take place that would totally devastate them for a moment was part of the plan. It was also a glimpse of the goal. Here's the mission that was to come. And John and Peter would later write, we are witnesses of these things, witnesses of his majesty. It also gives us a clue of what we're supposed to be doing, witnesses. In Greek, it means one who remembers. Well, I'm not good at remembering many things. If you see the desk uh, in my office, there's like post-it notes everywhere 
of reminders, and I still forget things. But we are to remember, but in this sense, it doesn't just mean, oh, i got to remember to put the chicken out for dinner tonight. But it literally means making a past event the present reality. Remembering, putting back what was. And what are we supposed to be putting back? First John that I read earlier said, the infinite love of God took shape before us. That's what we are witnesses of. This is the present reality that our lives must always be about. The infinite love of God taking shape through us and for those around us. How? Because I don't know if you know certain people, they're pretty hard to love. My grandmother said it best, I don't have to like everybody, but I have to love everybody. It sure is hard to love everybody. How are we going to do that? How can we let our witness be the infinite love of God taking shape through our lives? One author that I have read and still read, probably related somehow because he's German, my family's German, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was writing about ethics. I didn't think it would be a thrilling book, ethics. But he said this responsibility that we have can be summed up in one word. And I thought this was the coolest way to say it, deputyship. We're all little Barney Fives. <laughs> I was like, man, that is cool. And then I looked up, well, what in the world does deputyship really mean? It means a person appointed and empowered to act for another. That explains what we're supposed to be doing. We're Jesus' deputies. And we don't have Wyatt Earp's peacemaker, but we do have something far greater. The infinite love of God. It resides in us because Christ resides in us. And Bonhoeffer said this, deputyship and therefore also responsibility lies only in the complete surrender of one's own life to the other man. Only the selfish, selfless, sorry, selfless man lives responsibly. And thus, this means that only the selfless man lives. Wow. No wonder our collect today says that we beholding by faith the light of his countenance may be strengthened to bear our cross. That's the selfless life. But the good news is this event also lets us know that Jesus is approachable. We're not in this alone, we're in this together. Matthew's account, Jesus came down and touched them and said, hey guys, don't be afraid, it's me. Not like Moses' encounter with God's glory. Let me hide you in a rock and you can see my backside. Huh. Wow. <laughs> I, got, I had a, yeah, we won't go there. But Jesus is accessible. 
I like Song of Solomon. He wrote these words, and that's a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. He brought me to his banqueting house, which literally means house of wine. Hopefully there's Guinness too. And his banner over me was love. Wow. This is what Christ has done. He has brought us. He has accepted us. No matter what we may feel, he's close to us. He's approachable. We may not have anything to offer him, but he doesn't really care about that. He cares about you. Beautiful picture in the Old Testament of this. Of Jonathan's son. Anybody know Jonathan's son's name and can pronounce it? I'm going to try. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, something along those lines. When the capital was being overrun, his nanny dropped him when he was a baby, crippled him in both ankles. He was really good for nothing after that, in society's view. He lived in exile in a beautiful hill spot in the country called Lodibar. Wow. Doesn't that sound like a place everyone wants to go? Been there, done that, Lodabar? I don't think so. And when David remembered, hey, I made a promise to Jonathan that I would take care of his family, he said, is there anybody left of Jonathan's household? And they searched far and wide and said, there's somebody called Mephibosheth way over there in Lodabar. We'll send him here. And this was Mephibosheth's words when he found out David was looking for him. What does he want with a dead dog like me? Man. And he came trembling before David, expecting to be executed, the last remnant of the rebellious household that was before him. But instead, Jonathan said, hey, buddy, what's up? This is my translation. You are welcome at my house anytime. In fact, you live with me. And everything that was your grandfather's saws, I'm going to give it back to you. He was accepted. And this is what we see today in the gospel. Jesus has accepted us. And because he's accepted us and he's close to us, what is the main thing we need to be doing? And that's why the Father speaks those wonderful words. This is my beloved son. Get busy. Now, listen to him. Not Peter's response, the mouth. Hey, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. We're going to make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We want to maintain this moment for as long as we can with our busyness. <laughs> Shut up and listen. Our doing has to flow out of our listening, our communion with Christ. All of our action and activity has to move from our interior life. Fulfillment doesn't come from doing. I know that's contrary to our mind. 
but it comes from being. In our society, we have lost culture, we have lost focus on this interior life. And if anything we see today, everything that Jesus was doing because of who he is. We're a culture that doesn't like to focus on the interior life. We are defined by busyness, distraction, and restlessness. I concur. I meet all three of those in exemplary fashion. And I've come to realize, and I wrote it down, and I'm going to read it for you because I don't want to mess the words up. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual. We are more interested in the new Netflix movie, sports game, or Amazon deal than Christ and his church. Today, we're reminded of that which is necessary. Listen to him. Christ alone deserves our undivided heart's attention. It's the only way that's going to make sense out of your life. Let him have it all. Soon, this Wednesday in fact, Lent begins. Listen to him. Alter what has been your normal. It's the time of the year to change things, to listen more, fast a meal or two. I know. Believe me, I've started early (laughs) fasting. Abstain from something you enjoy, not because it's bad, but you want to put something away for a moment. Here's the big one. Don't throw stones, please. Turn the screens off. How about do this for a change? Use your phone for just a phone. Stop some non-essential activities. We all have them. Why? To clear out some space and solitude. To listen to him. Don't let Jesus stay outside the door of your heart. He wants to come in. And the good news is he doesn't care if it's messy. He's a great house cleaner. He doesn't mind the mess. Listen to him. And I leave you with the words of St. Leo the Great. How cool it would be to have that attached to your name. The Great. Father Ben. The Great. Man, it sounds good. It sounds better than his other things after his name. The Great says it all. But here's what St. Leo, a legitimate The Great, said. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Born true man without ever ceasing to be true God, began in his person a new creation, and by manner of his birth gave man a spiritual origin. Who can grasp this mystery? What tongue can fittingly recount this gift of love? Guilt becomes innocence, 
old becomes new. Strangers are accepted and outsiders are made heirs. Rouse yourself, man, and recognize the dignity of your nature. Remember that you were made in God's image. Though corrupted in Adam, that image has been restored in Christ. Listen to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.